I want to welcome Agile XRM to the podcast. I've known the people at Agile XRM for the past 12 years. I've seen how their business process management tool can add massive value to complex organizational processes in sectors such as finance and government. If you have complex processes or a need for dialogues on the Power Platform or Dynamics 365, take a look at how this BPM tool can add value. You can find them at agilexrm.com or check out the show notes for more details. Welcome to the MVP Show. My intention is that you listen to the stories of these MVP guests and are inspired to become an MVP and bring value to the world through your skills. If you have not checked it out already, I do a YouTube series called How to Become an MVP. The link is in the show notes. With that, let's get on with the show. Today's guest is from the USA. He's the managing partner of C5 Insights. Uh, he became an MVP in 2020, first up, and here's the, here's the clincher here. He's a co-author of a book called Dynamics CRM 2011 Administrative, Administrative Bible. Now, that book was the go-to book back early in my career uh, in, the, in the Dynamics uh, CRM days, and he, in, he authored this book with uh, Matt Witteman. You can, uh, if you look in the show notes, I'll have his uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, blog posts, etc., for you to click on and go to. But welcome to the show, Jeff. Oh, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, that dates me. That was back in the days when people actually still used books as references. What's amazing is that, you know, um, how come it took you so long to become an MVP? You know, it's funny, but by the time I became one and I was chatting with um, a, a great MVP, Kylie Kaiser, I don't know if you know her, um, she's been around and she's super, you know, full of energy and lots of people in the community know her. And we were chatting and she just, she was asking me about MVP and I told her I wasn't one. And she kind of thought, I, I thought you've been an MVP for years from before I was an MVP. Why haven't you been? So um, honestly, I I never pursued it actively. It, it wasn't the title wasn't all that important to me. It's still not all that important to me per se. You don't see me listed on my profiles as much as a lot of other MVPs do. But but A, I found out that I was probably qualified, So and it was just a little bit of time to invest. But B, to me, um, getting out there speaking on venues like this, doing lots of public speaking, it's, it's what I've enjoyed doing for many, many, many years. And I started running into folks saying, well, are you an MVP? Because if you're an MVP, you'll speak here. If you're not an MVP, we may not have you at all. It'll certainly be a tougher uh, hill to climb to get in. So at that point, I said, well, this this is it's a good investment of time for me to make. It's good for my career. Uh, it, and it's and it aligns well with what I'm already doing. So, so all the pieces kind of fell together. I wasn't looking for it. We just kind of met at the right time. I like it. I like it. Tell me, uh, before I, I jump into more detail um, of your history, your journey, all those exciting things, tell me about uh, family, uh, your family, where you live, and kind of what you do when you're not working. Sure. So uh, I live in a little town called Huntersville, North Carolina, but it's a suburb of the city of Charlotte, North Carolina, which probably still isn't very well known uh, around the world, but it's in North Carolina in the southeastern part of the United States. I've lived here for 25-ish years now, um, was in Mississippi, United States for a few years before that, but grew up right outside of Washington, D.C. So I'm, I'm a Washingtonian by, by birth and background. 
So, um, so family, we're, my wife and I are now empty nesters, which I, I, I highly recommend to anybody. It's a wonderful stage of life. Um, we have our first grandchild. He turned two a couple of months ago. In fact, he was born the day after St. Patrick's Day. And, uh, and I found out that daughter is now pregnant with the second child. So we're expecting a granddaughter in November. So, um, so that's kind of where I hail from and what I do. What do I do for fun? My wife and I, now that we're, now that we're empty nesters, we can play again and be kids again. So we have, we have a couple of motorcycles now, actually. So next, uh, day after tomorrow, I leave on a 10 day motorcycle ride going through a lot of the Midwestern, Southeastern and Midwestern United States. Um, we love doing that. We love travel. She's actually not riding with me on that trip, but she's going to meet me in Nashville, Tennessee for a few days. And we love, we've both kind of fallen in love with fine spirits. So she's got a certificate in fine wines. Um, I love those. I love bourbon. Um, the whole mixing those with the motorcycle thing doesn't always work out so well, but, um, but it's kind of a fun, you know, you, you go to a destination, you enjoy that, you stay there the night and then you come back home. So they all, they all dovetail together nicely with each other. I love it. I love it. A man after my own heart when it comes to spirits and uh and drinking well, spirits. tell me tell me yeah yeah tell me about um in fact i, I just I digress slightly i just sent my cousin who lives in england for his 50th birthday i sent him um wife and i paid for him to go to islay oh nice in scotland yeah. which is where lafroig and alberg and and a, a brook laddie distillery a whole range of distilleries there and he just went this last weekend. He just sent a, uh, all the photos through and just said absolute experience of his life, um, you know, going there for the weekend. There's, there's something about going to the destinations that connects you more with it, right? I mean, getting the spirit is kind of a challenge. But when you when you see the maker, especially these more feeling family-run types of organizations, it, it just enhances it so much. Oh, and, and when they're, they, you know, 100-plus-year history and things like that, right, it's just – phenomenal experience hardly anyone here in the states has a hundred plus year history because we had this thing called prohibition (laughs) yeah yeah exactly exactly c5 insights i've heard them around the market for many many years tell us a bit about that right c5 insight actually it's we pronounce it singularly here although a lot of people say insights so yeah we technically were founded 20 years ago in fact we celebrated our 20th birthday in charleston south carolina um, just a couple of months ago. So we kind of took the whole company out there and had a nice time together celebrating our 20th birthday together. Um, it was born as Customer Connect. We were very focused just on this sort of the customer engagement type of the world. Then we were born before Dynamics. So we were doing general consulting and Salesforce stuff and then got more and more aligned with Microsoft. At some point in that journey, we renamed C5 Insight um, because we realized we we wanted and needed to be more than customer engagement. We wanted to be digital employee engagement too and focus on things like SharePoint and Teams, which were a little ahead of the curve. We didn't think so, but um, we kind of thought, well, these, these worlds are converging, right? So we better be ready. And now with Power Platform, that's really kind of happening, but it took a little longer than we than we thought it would. So that, that's kind of our story at a high level. But I'd say what's probably different about us is other than our culture, Um, We're not a big company, but I can tell you whenever we've brought anybody in within the past several years, they've said, this place is just different from any other place that I've worked before, right? And it's, you know, hopefully we compensate effectively and all that kind of stuff. That's, of course, important. But I think it's just, we think that 
digital engagement, customer employee engagement is really about giving everybody a voice, right? Deeply listening to people, understanding them, forming better, more meaningful connections, and knowing the results so we can continuously improve. And we really believe it. So we really try to practice what we preach internally, how we run our company and what we talk about and how we speak. We're very business and outcome focused rather than just technology focused. Um, and that's worked well for us through the years. But I, I think that whole idea of listen, understand, connect, and know, we call that being luck, powered by luck. Um, that's something that kind of was a pithy way to explain what we did back when we developed it, maybe 15 years ago. And it became more and more the formula to help organizations that struggle with these things to actually figure out that this is how it works. This is how you need to do it. These are the things you can do better if you do this the right way. So break down luck for me. Is it is it uh, play on the, the, the letters in luck? It is. It is. I mean, I was truly born um, a long time ago. We were, we were trying to explain what what results in more because you know a lot of these projects struggle, fail outright, or just struggle either it's adoption or technical issues. And so we were trying to make it easy to understand. And we kind of said, look, it's about listening first. And listening is like you know when we we listen as humans, you and I are listening, and we're not just listening; we're writing it down in our brain, right? Well, in, in the digital world, your brain is a corporate memory. That's your CRM database. That's Teams and SharePoint, whatever that is. So you're, you're trying to take this human thing listening and you're trying to do it at scale. And then as humans, we understand, right? Stephen Covey says, it, the problem is not that we don't listen. It's that we listen with the intent to respond rather than with the intent to really, truly, deeply understand. And that's the analytic step. We've got all this data we've written in our corporate memory. Now, how do we really break that apart so that we can make better decisions, clearly understand customers and each other better, and have more relevant dialogues and conversation. So that's the C part, the communication, the connecting part. And what we found over time was it's not just about good people skills connecting. Those are born out of process. So listening is a data step, understanding is the analytic step, connecting is a process step, and knowing your results is a continuous improvement step. That's really where collaboration is really critical because you don't learn if you don't learn together. So listen, understand, connect, and know that spells luck. So it's a play on those words. And we like it because it's kind of tongue in cheek when people go, well, what do you help people do? We help them become powered by luck. You know, at first they're kind of like, what? What? We don't believe in luck, right? And then we explain, you know, it's, it's luck, the process, not luck, the lowercase blessings sort of luck. I like it. I like it. Tell me the journey to writing that book back in 2011, you know, when people used to still write big technical books and we don't see it as much these days. What was your process? How did that come about for you? You know, I wish I could take much credit for that. I, I really have to give most of the credit for that book to Matt Wittemann. Um, Matt was a, an MVP at that time and already had been an MVP. He's been an MVP for, for many, many years. And so somehow in his journey, someone approached him and said, um, Look, I, I think someone had actually approached them saying, they've approached me. I don't want to do this. Do you want to do it? And Matt approached me and said, this is interesting, but you know, it's a lot. And so we said, let's work with each other on it. So he, he worked for C5 Insight. We were called Customer Connect at the time. At the time, And we partnered. He wrote about half of the book and I wrote half of the book. Um, but he's really the one who kind of brought it in and he really kind of spearheaded a lot of the thinking about how we would do it. He was an excellent partner in all of that. And, and I would say... By and large, if I were to kind of say who wrote what, Matt probably wrote the stuff that required the harder technical lifting because he had a lot of that expertise. I wrote the stuff that um, well, gosh, if I'm if I'm if I'm uh, mean to myself, I'd say it's the lighter, fluffier stuff. But I'd say it's it's more configuration focused or business centric. What I wrote and contributed to it. 
So interesting because I've, you know, questioned Matt on why he couldn't retire off the proceeds of, of authoring a book like that. Yeah, it's because and so I have a feeling for... 50 50 with me. So. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I, I know. I know kind of how much money that was made um, in that. And I am like, you know, people don't write books like this for the money, <laughs> right? There's, there's got to be other motivations um, outside of it. So I always, I always are surprised when I see people authoring books nowadays, tech books like this, because it's just everything changes so quickly. And I know that even when you did that and, and the screenshots and stuff were constantly in an evolution and, um, to getting that book published, you know, um, it, it just, yeah. I'm surprised how long it actually stayed fairly relevant, right? I mean, in 16, 17, 18, people were still kind of using it as a bit of a reference guide. But yeah, I, I actually wrote another book called The Luck Principle, and I got someone to kind of coach and mentor me a little bit through that process. And the way they put it was, all that a book is, is a really expensive business card. So if it, if it turns into anything more than that, count it all blessing and good fortune, but it's a, it's a great credibility boosting tool. And it is that it, it helps with conversations when people go, well, you know, I don't know you, what should I know? But well, I helped write this book. Oh, okay. We can move past that and let's get down to brass tacks now. It's definitely a good calling card. Um, wow. As a look, time's flying pretty quickly. Tell me, um, tell me about your observations in the last 20 years, you've seen Microsoft go through a journey. And, um, you know, particularly when Satya came into play, we've seen in the last three to four years where James Phillips has, who led, who's recently left, of course, the, the biz apps practice or left Microsoft for that matter. Um, a tremendous change when it came under his leadership. As in, we've seen a phenomenal, we saw the application layer separate from the underlying platform of the power platform and, and the Dynamics apps. And, and then, you know, you've been through XRM and the stories behind that. Tell me, what's your observation? If you played the last 20 years, what are your big highlights, key observations? And then I want you to look forward to the future and, and your observations there. So as it relates to sort of the Microsoft stack and ecosphere and that kind of stuff. Boy, I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm the greatest guy to pontificate on that. I mean, certainly the, you know, we, we've all been to enough Microsoft um, hype sessions. And I say that lovingly, but, you know, when we get, when we first get engaged in this, you go to those and you're so excited because you think this great stuff is coming. And then you go to it two or three years later and you think they're finally going to resolve all the problems that you didn't ever realize they had until you got into it. And then three or four years later, you just realize you're kind of in this endless cycle of that, right? The world is changing and Microsoft is changing. And with every new new thing that is created, it unleashes a host of new complaints and issues, just like just like with anything else out there. And, and I guess if I looked at it in hindsight, what I would say is, as I said earlier, for us, we thought, oh, the world is converging. Microsoft kind of was talking about this idea of convergence and SharePoint and kind of unstructured content and structured content getting together. And that, took, that journey took much longer than any of us, I think, were guessing. I remember back in the days we wrote the Bible, people said, well, we're standing up CRM really as a development platform. We're going to develop all these cool XRM things on top of it. And SharePoint would kind of be a box of Legos, and that'll kind of uh, complete our development environment. And I think we kind of realized that that covered about 20% of the use cases that we actually thought that it would cover. And now with Power Platform, 
you know, we're covering a lot more. We're really getting into convergence. More of that stuff is happening. But having been around all the way back in you know the days of the 90s when people were talking about rapid application development platforms and you know, things like that, that they were saying, this is going to change how people develop forever. And guess what? Developers are more and more in demand than they ever were before. They'll continue to be. And, and I just think that's going to remain true. It, it might be that we can do more things that used to require developers than we used to be able to do. And I think to some extent that's true, but not as much as the term citizen developer would suggest. And and I think that as we do those things, we're unlocking a host of other visions that require the expertise of developers or at least very advanced configuration people to bring businesses where they need to be to close those gaps. So, um, so it, I think the more the things change, the more that they stay the same. As long as you stay ahead of it, it's a it's a big world, and there's going to be a need for all levels of technical competency. What are you most bullish on on the future and in, in the in our ecosystem? Most bullish on the ecosystem, you know, I mean, there's the very tactical side of that, right? Power platform is growing like crazy, so things like you know. Um, Power apps portals and stuff like that, I think, are going to be great places to invest time and energy. There's tons of, in, of, of time going into AI. Um, I, I was building predictive models before I started this company, right? But it was for a gigantic bank who had money to spend on that stuff. So I think we've just begun to unlock the potential of AI. I mean, we lump things like OCR and predictive modeling into AI. We've been doing that stuff for 30 or 40 years, right? We're just beginning to unlock what AI can do for folks. Um, and I think that's going to be a big area. I'm not a big believer in metaverse, or at least I think we're so early on in the stages of it. It would be like talking about tablet computing in 1985 or something, right? It was, you know, we, there were a few devices, but we hadn't begun to unlock all the things we need to do to do that. So I don't know. That's probably a very tactical answer. I'm sure there's a much more strategic, deep thinking issue around the fifth generation of corporate automation and stuff like that that we should talk about. But uh, my mindset isn't there this evening. Hey, thanks for listening. I'm your host, business application MVP, Mark Smith, otherwise known as the NZ365 guy. If you like the show and want to be a supporter, check out buymeacoffee.com forward slash NZ365Guy. Thanks again, and see you next time.